Welcome to the Alain English Speaking School Sociology Podcast. My name is Mrs Black, your guide through your sociological curriculum. Each episode will take you through different aspects of your specification, as well as offering hints, tips and advice to get you through your exams. Thank you for spending time with me today. Now let's jump into understanding sociology. Hello everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today we're going to be looking at modernity and postmodernity and its relevance to modern society as well as postmodern society when it comes to sociology. So first of all, we need to define both of those terms. Modern society refers to European society between roughly 1650 and 1950-ish. And postmodern society refers to European and other advanced post-industrial societies from around 1950-ish onwards. However, um, it isn't as easy as that um, because sociologists disagree to exactly when postmodernism started. For some, the roots of it lie in early modernity. For others, postmodernism does not properly begin until the 1970s. Still, others argue, like Giddens, that we don't even live in a postmodern society at all. So, it's important for you to get your head around what both of these terms mean, um, because theorists of postmodernity argue that traditional structuralist theories of Marxism and feminism are no longer relevant, and they suggest new ways of doing sociology. Postmodernists would argue that postmodern society is different to modern society, so much so that it requires new methods of study and new theoretical frameworks. Essentially, what is different, according to postmodernists, is that those stable institutions which used to bind us together have much less influence now. And with the rise of globalisation, which we'll go into in a bit, and new media technologies, individuals are much more free to construct their own cultures and identities than they once were. So what was or is modernity? Modernity is a term that's used to describe the modern period. This began in Europe several hundred years ago and some of the key features were economic production. The fact that this was industrialist and capitalist and social classes formed the main basis of social division. Social classes are based on people's social and economic position. We looked at Marx in our first podcast and his view was that industrial society, um, people were divided into two main classes, the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. So those who owned businesses and those who sold their labor to them and were exploited by the bourgeoisie. Another feature was the growth of cities and urbanization. So during the 18th, 19th and 20th centuries, thousands of people moved to cities to find work and make their homes. They did this for a number of different reasons. We'll look at those when we, we go into this in a bit more detail. And we've got to remember that different countries have different makeups and the reason why people move to different cities or even to different countries and become more transient 
Um, people have a lot of different reasons for that. So it could have been, for example, in the USA, it could have been the fact that slavery was abolished. It could have been within Europe that there was two major wars in one century. And people move for very different reasons. Another feature was the powerful central governments and administrations. These are known as bureaucratic states. And this is the part that local and central governments play um, within people's lives. And through this, there's been a development of compulsory education, public housing, and of course, the welfare state. Another feature was that people's knowledge began to become derived from scientific and rational thinking rather than religious faith, magic and superstition. During this period, people looked to science and logical thinking to explain the world. It was very different to how it was before. Natural disasters such as earthquakes tended to be explained scientifically rather than just an act of God. Another feature was a widely held faith in scientifically based progress. An associated view has been that the more we trust in science and technological progress, the better society becomes. Most of the great sociologists attempted to find ways of understanding modernity and the great transformation that created it. Writers such as Marx and Durkheim, both of whom we met in a previous podcast, attempted to create theories and concepts which could help explain the workings of society and answered basic questions such as what holds societies together and what makes societies change. Postmodernity, however, refers to the views that the institutions and ways of living characteristic of modernity and have been replaced to such a profound extent that our society is fundamentally different to the modern society. In contrast, postmodernism is a term that refers to new ways of thinking about thought. Postmodernists believe that knowledge itself needs to be understood in a very different way to modernist sociologists such as functionalists and Marxists. It follows that not all theories of postmodernity are postmodernists. There are five key features of the postmodern society. Globalization is the first. A simple definition of globalization is the increasing connectedness between societies across the globe. Globalization means there are more flows of information and ideas, money and people moving across national boundaries. To aid this, of course, has been technology, which has been fundamental in, in globalization's progress over the last decade, certainly. Another feature was the increasing importance of the mass media. The postmodern era, era had witnessed a huge expansion in media technology. The rise of digital media, especially things like the internet, um, has led to a massive and unprecedented increase in the number of people using the media. So, for example, there's less people now in the digital underclass where, for example, like older people are learning how to use the technology in order to connect themselves to the world, especially during this pandemic. So, for example, at Christmas time, my mum didn't know how to use Zoom. 
and she was contacting me via Facebook Messenger um, if she could, but I couldn't receive those calls. She didn't really understand that I couldn't receive calls via that platform. And so I was having to contact her through Microsoft Teams, but she didn't really understand how to work it and she found it very difficult. It took my daughter to go and speak to her and get her set up on Zoom to enable her to be able to access those things. And since the lockdown, she's then been able to access things like yoga classes online where she's able to, and, and also able to connect with groups of people, which has prevented her from becoming isolated. Um, so we've got this unprecedented increase, even more so because of the lockdown of people using the media. A huge increase in the diversity of media products, both factual and fictional, we've also has, has, has arisen um, an increase in the number of people creating things like their own music or their own videos, profile sites, um, and uploading information for public consumption. There's greater interactivity, there's more flexibility. All of this results in a much more complex pattern of media usage. And it, it's more about the individual picking and mixing what they actually consume. A consequence of that is that our society has an increased reliance on the media to tell us what's going on in the world. Some sociologists would argue that the media creates something what's called, that's called a hyper-reality. That's where what we see in the media is different, yet more real than reality. And you could have a look at one of the year 13 students showed me um, this image of a, an individual that was computer generated, but looks like a real person. And that's becoming more and more the norm when it comes to social media now. Some sociologists would argue that the media coverage of war, for example, is different to reality, yet is the only reality that most of us know. New networks also emerge through the use of media, most obviously through profile sites such as Facebook. One consequence of this is the breakdown of local communities. As people increasingly network online in the privacy of their own homes, they don't communicate with their next door neighbors. So we're much more likely to speak to people across the globe than we are to the very people that are living next door. Another feature is that the world is in fragments. In postmodern society, the pace of change is so much more rapid than it was in the modern society. Postmodern society is more dynamic and it's more fluid. The postmodern society doesn't seem to sit still. It's, it's constantly moving. And as a result of that, it lacks any coherent, stable social structure. This can be evidenced in a number of different ways. So work, we don't have such a thing anymore as a job for life. Today, people accept that they'll probably have two or three different types of jobs throughout their lifetime. And it's the era of the portfolio worker. That person is much more likely to move jobs and change careers several times throughout his or her working life. Working life is also characterized by much more uncertainty as businesses are quick to move to other regions or countries if they can find cheaper labor abroad. A really good illustrative example of this is Dyson. That recently closed down a factory in South Wales to seek cheaper labor in China. 
From the perspective of the South Wales workers, Dyson came and went in a very short time frame. Companies are now increasingly likely to employ workers through recruitment agencies. They can be fired at very short notice. And much, work, much more work nowadays in, modern society, in postmodern society is temporary. It's part-time. It's characterised by flexible working hours. One day you might have some hours, the next day you might have none. And there are good sides and bad sides to this, but the upshot of it is that working life is much less stable than it used to be. If you want to have a look at that further in a bit more detail, you can read um, Richard Sennett's The Corrosion of Character and Polly Toynbee, Hard Work for an Insight into the Postmodern World of Work. Fashion and music have also become a feature of this. Two of the most visible examples of the fast pace of change lies in the fashion and music industries. These are constantly evolving with new styles and music forms constantly emerging. Many artists have to constant, continuously reinvent themselves to stay in the spotlight. And at the very extreme end, the pop idol genre of shows demonstrates how individuals are made stars for a month and then forgotten. A good example of that is things like Love Island, Big Brother. Um, they're stars whilst they're there, but people generally kind of forget about them. Unfortunately, this leads and can lead to a breakdown of local communities in some societies. Because of the increased flexibility of labour associated with the world of work, it means people move more often in their lifetimes, meaning that people are much less able to put down stable roots in their local community. It's led to a decline in social capital, pretty much like trust. And according to Robert Putnam, you need to do something different instead of wasting time surfing for information. The consumer society is another feature. So according to postmodernists, one fundamental difference between the postmodern society and modern society is that our society is very consumer orientated rather than work orientated. This means that consuming things and leisure activities are more important today than work. The image of the postmodern society is one of a shopping mall than a factory. Postmodernists would argue that we live in this very pick and mix society. We're very free to pick our lifestyles and life courses. We can choose products in supermarkets that once upon a time we could never have believed that we could get. Postmodernists would argue that individuals are much less shaped by their class and their gender and their ethnic backgrounds today. Women, for example, are not expected to just become housewives and mothers just because they're women. And work is much less gendered than it used to be. Society is no longer divided along class lines or gender lines or even ethnic lines. Being born working class, being born a woman or being born black does not, according to postmodernists, and you may disagree with that, predetermine one's future or shape one's consciousness as it did in modernity. And also to the extent to which it did was often exaggerated by classical sociologists. Another feature is cultural diversity and hybridity. The ever increasing pace of globalization has led to an increase in cultural diversity, which refers to the mixing of different cultural traditions. 
So if we compare our societies today to that of 100 or even 50 years ago, we see a bewildering increase in the diversity of social and cultural form. Some of the most obvious examples include things like goods and services, uh, fashion and music, and pretty much any other sphere of life is more diverse than it was 50 years ago. Education, work and family life. Some possibly would disagree with that. So one of the things that I'd like you to just do now is take a quick break and I'd like you to, to just think about the following questions. So first of all, in a postmodern society, we have much more consumerism choice. What are the consequences of that for an individual? I'd like to think about how could you explain globalization? Let's say some aliens came down from outer space and they asked what this word was. Um, how would you explain it in very simple terms? Try to explain to them as well what hyperreality is. What does that mean? I'd like you to explain and think about some examples of what is meant by the fragmented society and what cultural hybridity is and I'd like you to illustrate that with an example. So we'll take a quick break. I'd like you to get that done now and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, so welcome back. We're going to have a look at some examples of postmodern thinkers. Postmodernists argue that we need new ways of thought to understand and conceptualize new postmodern society, and that the age-old theories of modernity are no longer really relevant. Lyotard, the, he talked about the Enlightenment, the abandonment of the Enlightenment project. He refers to postmodernism as incredulity towards meta-narratives. A meta-narrative is a theory that holds that it is the universal truth, or it contains within it some great hope of salvation if only everybody would go along with the, the idea. Science, religion, political ideologies are all meta-narratives. And according to Lyotard, in the postmodern world, people have seen all of those meta-narratives turn to ashes the promises that they once held turned out to be completely disastrous. The greater diversity and freedom of the postmodern age means that individuals abandon the search for one universal truth. Lyotard argues that it is a good thing because the search for universal truths has led to such terror and oppression in the past. Hence, postmodern diversity is good because it should promote tolerance. That's the idea. Modernists tend to believe that if we can find the truth, then we can apply this to society. It will enable us to be free. But postmodernists would believe that in order to be free, we need to be liberated from the concept of truth. Michael Foucault said that knowledge is not objective, it's distorted by power. He argued that the modernist enlightenment project is a myth and that throughout history, knowledge has not been objective, and it's not necessarily been used to make the world a better place. This is because the knowledge we collect about the world is shaped by the subjective views and values of 
of those with power. He illustrated this through exploring how societies have dealt with insanity and criminality throughout history. He basically argues that those in power define their own behaviours and values as normal, and then those most unlike them as mentally ill or criminal. The thing is, once those basic categories have been established, experts then emerge to construct expert knowledge about why people are insane and how they are best treated. The label sane and insane, according to Foucault, are very subjective. Baudrillard said that hyperreality is more important than actual reality. The postmodern era has witnessed a huge expansion in media technology. One consequence of this is that our society has an increased reliance on the media to tell us what's going on in the world. Baudrillard argues that the media creates something called a hyperreality, where what we see in the media is different from and yet more real than reality. He argues that the media coverage of war, for example, is different to reality, yet it's the only reality that most of us know. The media is a world different from reality and a modernist project that focuses on how reality influences people's lives and how we should try to improve society seems very irrelevant in a society where most people have not lived experience of this social reality. Postmodernism influences sociology. Bowman said that the central feature of postmodern society is that we're all consumers. Rather than basing our identities around work, therefore class, we're much more likely to define ourselves through the products that we buy. It also follows that postmodern sociology is much more focused on how people use consumption to define and understand themselves. There's more focus on how people construct their identities in a world of huge potentiality. You just think about people buying designer clothing or the desire to buy designer clothing or to buy cheap knockoffs of designer clothing to make you look maybe richer than what you actually are. Postmodern sociology is thus much more interested in describing the diversity of life and looking at how people cope in our hectic postmodern world. And it's much less interested in social structures and how they shape people's identities. The sociology of postmodernity is also very interested in deviance and subcultures and in individuals and groups and how they transgress normative behaviour. Because postmodern society is different and as culture has become more important, it means that new areas have opened up for study. Such new areas include studies of rave culture, the study of gender, and the development of other theories that are very prevalent to our postmodern world. As well as that, the emergence of cultural and media studies as sub-disciplines of sociology have also become very popular. Much of the new postmodern sociology limits itself to descriptions of the way of life of these groups, and at best attempts to theorise specific to that group under study. Postmodernists are not interested in constructing generalizable social, social theory as they believe such a mission is flawed.
we've got to be able to criticize certain theories as well um, and there are a number of criticisms of postmodernism. Most sociologists agree that most modern society is more fragmented and uncertain. They disagree with some of the elements of postmodernism. For example, Lyotard's idea about the collapse of grand narratives can be criticised because it is in itself a grand narrative. Jameson argued that postmodernism is the cultural logic of late capitalism. In the same way as modernist social theories are products of modernity, so postmodernism is a product of advanced capitalism. Capitalism has produced a world of fantastical objects and lifestyles, which invites those of those who are lucky enough to be able to afford it to play rather than worry about the conditions under which our goods and services are produced. Have you ever thought about where your clothing comes from? Who's made your clothes? If you have certain products, have they been made by children? Have they been mined, part mined by children? And, you know, people working in what we would class as modern day slavery. Postmodern thoughts, which focus on how we play rather than worrying about the big problems that face us, such so things like poverty, for example, could be seen as being similar to what the transnational capitalist class wants of us, that we identify ourselves as consumers and play rather than worry about the dual log logics of exploitation. So we don't worry about the people or the planet that lie behind the productive processes of late capitalism. Bormann argued that it's capitalism that has, to produ has produced this unstable modern, postmodern world in which we live. And it tends to be the poor that experience that instability in a negative way. If you think about people like refugees, whilst the rich experience it in a positive way, we can play in our consumer playground and avoid the worst bits of the world. And one of the things about the pandemic that's really come to the foreground is that you had to be, to be able to be locked down and to be able to survive lockdown and to be able to do it comfortably you had to be pretty privileged to be able to do that. And that those people who live in poverty are not as privileged. And if you think about the people that have called for the ends of lockdown because they want a haircut, or they want to go back to the malls, or they want to go and eat in restaurants, it's generally the people that are paid less, maybe paid a, work, uh, a minimum wage, maybe paid less than a minimum wage, that actually feature within those jobs and so we're asking for the poor to be part of the service industry again to be able to service those people who are well off and able to, to comfortably survive lockdown. The thing is if we want a better world we need to figure out a way of being more in control of what kind of world we're creating rather than just accepting our fate as consumers and playing like little children Leotard's idea that now we are free from the tyranny of meta-narratives, that's as good as it gets, denies our capacity as humans to act collectively for the common good. There's been a number of people that have been, have been calling for an end to this new normal. And, you know, we should be looking after the planet in ways that we haven't really thought about before. So building on the above, thinkers on the left, I argue that postmodernism is a middle-class intellectual point of view, a luxury of the chattering classes. The new proletariat in the developing world may not see the relevance of postmodernism to their lives. 
Social thought that focuses on how we construct our identities in a world of hyper-reality is uncritical. We might argue that it suffers from a myopia of visible. Just because the world appears more fragmented and just because our media-mediated world is removed from reality doesn't mean there isn't a reality out there that needs to be understood. Let's face it, once all our commodities run out and the planet is dying because of global warming, actual reality might once again begin to seem more than hyper-reality. So, what I would like you to do is go through the worksheet, go through the PowerPoint, do your research in order to be able to understand this further. I hope that's been good for today. One of the things that I would like to do is to just pass on one of my exam hints and tips for you. And what I, th I my advice is, is that for all of these podcasts, whenever you're listening to them, um, you can stop them, you can restart them, start making some little revision cards of the main points. That will be really useful to you. It takes, actually, it takes a little bit of your time now, but it means that when it comes to the, or exams, when it comes to you having to do all the revision, you don't have to do those things. They're already done. You already have a bulk of revision notes. I'd buy some little cards and start making some exam notes. It will save you a heck of a lot of time. It might seem like a lot now, but when it comes to the end of your second year, when it comes to the end of your first year, you are going to, to really utilize those and it will be part of your revision. One of the things that you can also do, because we'll be doing testing Tuesdays, is to start doing the revision um, now. Just start learning some of these concepts because you are going to have to define some of these concepts. Or if you're asked to, to talk about postmodernism and if you don't know what postmodernism is and some of the features and some of the thinkers and some of the, the criticisms of it, how are you going to answer a question like that? So start thinking about those high grades, start thinking about your revision now. Don't, don't leave it until you know, next May when you're having to revise. Start doing it now, start building a wealth of revision resources. That's going to help you more than you can ever begin to imagine. I hope that's been useful for you today. Take care, work hard, and I'll speak to you soon. Bye for now.